Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Probably Honest podcast with myself, Dan. And myself, Mark. And we have a guest. I sound almost like the same same tone as the last guest. Anyway, we have a guest. Hi, I'm Alex. Hello. Who are you, the guest? I'm the guest and I'm <laughs> oh, Alex. Good, this you. is guest Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought it would be a really good idea for an episode as Mark and I have spoken about our stories as two people in recovery for various addictions to get a female perspective um, on recovery and beyond mental health. We've had Chloe obviously come on and talk about attachment. We're on the nitty gritty of addiction, alcoholism and everything in between. So hello. Hi. No pressure. Okay, I'll bring the nitty gritty. You can be like PG-13 nitty grit. Just gritty, not nitty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First of all, Alex, how are you today? Before we start talking, before you start talking very intimately about details of your life, tell us how you are today. Today I am a little bit frazzled. Why? Because of work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm happy and I'm healthy. I said unhealthy. I meant I'm healthy. Yeah. It's payday. I'm good. Is it's it sunny? Is it payday? It is for me. Interesting. I didn't get paid today. I got paid earlier on in the week. Yeah, I get paid on the 27th of the month, unless that falls on a weekend, in which case... So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. I've already blasted most of my payday. Yeah. On what? To go on holiday at the end of the month. Yeah, and also just paying off, like, debt, yeah, as covered in the last episode and of for, the yeah, Probably for, Honest <laughs> podcast. And for a deeper perspective on that, listen back to a previous episode on money. Episode 8. <laughs> where we established that we have not improved. <laughs> um, so, cool. So, you're doing okay? Somewhat. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great, thanks. 
what we thought we'd ask you to start us off nice and gently. Would you tell us uh, your qualification for being here and talking about addiction and alcoholism with us? Give us a bit of your story. bit of my story. So I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm just over a year and a half sober. Well, well done. done. Thanks, mate. Um, and yeah, I think I am. Um, a lot of people talk about being like born addicts and stuff, and I don't think I was. I think I had those behaviours and really fell into them in my early 20s. It caught up with me pretty quickly. So I, I, I remember I used to be able to drink like normally, probably a bit of a party girl, but not, no one was concerned. And then a few sort of experiences made me kind of shut off from the world and, and become quite self-loathing. And, and I didn't realise at the time, but quite fearful. Um, and the party girl thing, I just crossed this like invisible line that unfortunately you can't really cross back. Uh, so I, I was drinking quite heavily, drugs kind of got involved, but I wouldn't call myself a drug addict, although I don't doubt I would have become one. When I was about 25, it got really, really bad. That's when I first tried recovery, um, but it didn't stick. I had to prove to myself that I was definitely an alcoholic, and I, I got the certificate. And when I was 27, I went back into recovery, and that's this time around. As my spark notes, alcohol story. Interesting. You know, you said um, you you didn't think you were born an alcoholic or an addict. And by the way, for the benefit of listeners, um, I'd imagine we all use alcoholic and addict interchangeably. Mm. Um, she went born that, and you said that you no one was concerned, and then you started to see behaviours developed. How old were you when that happened, and what kind of what do, what do you mean by behaviours? Like, what were you doing that? Um. So I think like. I'd I'd never been a particularly obsessive person. I was always quite confident. I was always quite confident in my social abilities. Um, There were elements of of how I saw the world growing up. I always always had quite a nihilistic outlook. My reaction to things that I'm not the best at is just not to bother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, that kind of behaviour I could see as a kid, like if you ask my art teacher or my English teacher... They'd be like, brilliant student. If you asked the math teacher or the science teacher, they'd be like, Can't be Jesus asked. Christ, she's yeah, the worst. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. They liked me because I was funny, but they did not want me in their job. Um, <laughs> just I, to stop you there. Yeah. I don't think any teacher is going, oh, I love that kid. They're so funny. No, my, no my teacher teacher's, saying that. My teacher's <laughs> funny kids brilliant. are the most annoying kids to teach. There's no oh, teacher yeah, saying that. Yeah, that's what I mean. They loved me. Oh, they okay. didn't want me in their class. Oh, all right. Okay, fine. Okay, okay I'll give <laughs> but you But it that. wasn't like, bad mm. like I'd get in trouble for like being cheeky or yeah. not doing my homework that was the kind of thing yeah. um and then yeah I think I think I sort of I mean talking about the female element of it and I'm sure that this applies to uh men as well and non-binary people but I think those teenage years again generally fine can't really complain did okay at school like had plenty of friends but I think that's when my self-confidence started to really deteriorate mm. Um, you know, I just, I, it's worth saying for the podcast because it's not a visual format. I'm mixed race. Um, can confirm. Yeah. And I went to very posh, predominantly white schools. So that I already like, there was quite a lot of racism there, but in that very, what ho, cheerio chaps. (laughs) And like, you know, like I didn't even know how wrong it was 
until I was a bit older and I was like, that was so inappropriate. That I think I I was always the girl friend. So I'd go to all the fun parties. But I was always the one the boys told about who they fancied. Mm. And that is a weird place to be because I'm not complaining. I was I was popular. I was liked. That was great. But I think my own confidence started to erode there when it really, really kicked off. So I'd, I'd made some poor decisions um, and put myself into situations that I wasn't ready for and that didn't suit me. And then when I was at university, I had my drinks biked and uh, there was a very unpleasant sexual assault. That's when I actively remember drinking to feel better. I remember it wasn't just, I'm having a lot of fun. And, and I, I, I think I was drinking very heavily there to the point that it was probably problematic. But after that incident, that's where I can be like, oh, I couldn't stop then. Mm. Like I would just keep going. Did you um, have a desire to stop? No, because I, I think at that point I was still quite in denial. Mm. Like, you know, I was a student, I was doing what I wanted. I had this, because of my previous experiences, which I won't go into, but uh, plus that assault, I think I just, I really just thought, screw the world. Like, mm. who, even if I am a problem, who cares? Mm. Like, I'm not hurting anyone, I thought. Um, it's one of the difficult things. I think Dan and I have talked about university mm. before as well, because everyone is a problematic drinking university. Yeah. If you like, with if you like blindly told someone you didn't tell someone this is a student and this is their age bracket and you said this is how they drink you'd be like oh my god that person should be hospitalized yeah. Yeah. they've like they've got a chronic but well i mean i actually i there was one night where i broke my foot when i was out drinking and i was so drunk that i walked home mm. walked up my stairs i was in a top floor apartment and woke up at seven in the morning and my foot was literally like twice the size mm. my Flatmate's boyfriend had to literally carry me down the stairs because I'd sobered up enough that I could feel it now. Got to the hospital and I remember the nurse giving me that sheet where they're like, how much do you drink in your units? But even she was like, look, we have to do this. Like, I know you're a student. It's not an issue. Don't mm. worry about it. Mm. And, and I didn't begrudge her for that because nobody at that point would have necessarily thought I was doing anything much worse than anyone else. But everyone else seemed to grow up a bit, and I didn't. Um, I moved to Manchester with my now ex, and he went pretty hard, but he could always stop when he wanted to. He used to describe himself as a as an ex-addict. I, I know he did a lot of ice. Is that meth? I don't I know. Any, is, yeah. I'm not good at drugs. Um, I think it's so crystal meth. He did meth, a lot of that, it, and then yeah. he, he like sobered himself up. But like we, we'd still go pretty hard. But even with him, he was always like, why can't you just stop? Like he called me Two Wine Alex. Two Wine Alex was the best Alex. Because she was fun and she was chill, but she wasn't too drunk. Yeah, so it just it just kind of incrementally got more and more while everyone else was kind of getting a bit more grown up. That relationship ended really, really, really hit me hard. And I actually think it's only in the last sort of few months I've been reflecting a lot on like sex and relationships that I realised how pivotal that breakup was. Because I ended it with him, like it was very amicable. But I think I ended it with him because I was just unhappy with everything and I thought he must be the thing that's making me unhappy. Mm. Came back to London, at which point work wasn't going well. I was just in a really dark place. And I think my whole idea of... I mean, I was working a job that on paper was the job, 
I've just broken up with this person that I legitimately thought I would spend the rest of my life with. And I was just so lost and I was so angry at the world. But I also never allowed myself to be angry because I thought I didn't have a right to because mm. I've always been safe and looked after and I have loving people around me and, you know, I've got in terms like monetary privilege and so I never allowed myself basically to deal with it even after the sexual assault I didn't like I don't want to in any way do the victim blaming thing that was the first of many if I don't I might not describe them as assaults but of many very dark sort of sexual encounters whilst it's no matter how drunk I was it would never be okay for the guys and yeah just guys to take that advantage, I also have to recognise that I've repeatedly put myself in those situations. It shouldn't have happened. Unfortunately, that stuff does happen, and I was almost actively... It was like using alcohol, drugs, sex as a, a self-harm. Like, I actively mm. thought, you're a piece of shit, you might as well do this to yourself. No, sorry, it's so fucking dark. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And <laughs> it's, interesting, it nice. it's interesting you mentioned that, because, again, I think this is something that... Dan and I have spoken about previously is that sense of once you hit like a certain bottom, it's it's no that's no longer a bottom. It then becomes a target that you almost have to. Uh, it's almost have to you have to go past again. You have to get lower and lower and lower. And it's like every time I I did something in my in my addic in my act of addiction. Like I remember the first time I tried heroin, and I was like wow, I never thought I would do heroin and I am never doing that again. Never, ever. And the second time I did, I was like, well, I've done it now. Yeah. And then it was, and it just became like a game of seeing how far I could push it. But that is also like just quite a, a normal sort of human behaviour. So I studied history at uni and a lot of it was about... Oh, you studied history, didn't you? Shout out to historians. Big up history. <laughs> hey, hey, Dan, what did you study at university? I studied music tech. Which is a uh, which is not history. It's not history. It is not history. No. I did do a history of music <coughs> tech. Did you do that? Yeah, and in, in no, within didn't. within one of the modules was like history of electronics and music. Was it interesting? It just proved to me, you know, that I was part of a culture that was destined for me to be taking drugs and drinking a lot. <laughs> no, but you know, okay, right. So the history thing I was going to say is I did a lot of um work around like what makes people do bad things and um they would talk a lot about if you can get someone to do one bad thing you can get them to do anything because you every time they they do something that is against their moral judgment mm. that dial just slips back and back and back i was rarely actively trying to be an asshole or be mean mm. I was very thoughtless, but it was, it was like, if I woke up in a guy's bed and I didn't know his name or how I'd gotten there, that became my normal. Mm. And so then I normalized it happening again and again and again. And you'd already reached that level. This is me now. Yeah. And mm. I remember actively being like, like being drunk maybe and being like, well, I should just get high now as well because like you, I'm, I'm a piece of shit and I should just like keep degrading myself as much as I can because yeah. I'm not worth not doing that. It's so like, I, I, it's like, it's really interesting to go from you feeling that way or any of us feeling that way to suddenly having that shift where you start to find that self-love. And it's like working a program is so bizarre mm -hmm. because 
when you tell someone who's not part of a program that you're part of a program who tends to think it's a cult. But um, thankfully, thanks to the cult, I'm I'm not dead, but I, we are all practicing and hearing kind of that, like, I thought I was a piece of shit, yeah. so therefore I'll just carry on living this way. I just I just always find it so bizarre. You know, you're uh, over a year sober now. Do you consciously on try to practice self-love now or do you kind of already have that now that you've established this kind of uh, I think when I first got into recovery and people were like oh just like have some self-love time I didn't know what that meant other than take a bath and light some candles mm. I spent so much money on candles and flowers <laughs> and I would and it was during lockdown I'd literally paint my nails like five times a day just because it was self-care mm. in my in my understanding it's actually a relatively recent thing that I've been actively thinking about self-care and thinking about still building up certain boundaries of what I think is acceptable. And I think I haven't looked at a lot of the sex stuff. I don't think I had, um, I always had very healthy relationships. I always had very healthy sex with partners, but I think that I, very consciously closed the door on what I'm now defining sexual trauma, but because it wasn't violent, I'd never used that word before. But now mm. I'm I'm like, no, I need to take ownership of that. I'm very unhappy with what happened. Therefore, it was to an extent a trauma. Um, so it's quite recent. And I actually, I happened across this little revelation um, Great word. And you thank love a revelation you. as well. I, lo I bloody love you revelation. Love, for, those, for the benefit of the listeners, <laughs> let me tell you, Alex fucking loves a revelation. I think I've told Mark about like six revelations in the last it's, week. It's amazing how many revelations <laughs> one woman can have. I'm, I'm, I would argue they're just thoughts that Alex has that she likes, but she calls them revelations. What is the difference between a revelation and a thought? No, because it's life-changing. It's life-changing. <laughs> <laughs> so your life has been changed well, seven this... times this week. Yeah, yeah, I'm That's also, outrageous. I'm very fickle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was actually watching this documentary about female pleasure. and What's the name of the documentary? We can link to it. Principles of Pleasure. It's on Netflix. fabulous. It's on Netflix. Have you watched it? it? No, but I've seen it and I was like, I've it's... already completed that. So. <laughs> You've I'm joking. He's, he's already I'm nailed So joking. I'm joking. Shout out to dad's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... But it's really, it, so they speak a lot about like emotional health. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they speak a lot about emotional out. health and um, it kind of got me thinking about that side of things and that I should probably be addressing my emotional health as relates to certain sexual experiences. I think I've very consciously created a sort of um, barrier between my body and my mind. So I intentionally told myself that my body didn't matter and that it was just a lump and it was just, it was just a tool. And I, and I have noticed a real disconnect. So it started when I was thinking about sex because I realized that it's been a very, very long time. This is a grown up, grown up podcast. Yes. Adults only. Adults only. It's been a very long time since I've had the kind of orgasm where you feel like your brain and your body are connected. I don't know if boys have that, but I think, well, I don't know. Well, I think we probably have degrees of orgasm, which are some are better than others. I don't know if there's the same level of connection but that's there's required like, between mind and I can, so, I can dive into this, but I want to hear 
the, the end of your sentence or the end of your your direction of okay, the end of Dan's, my revelation. Dan's got an yeah. opinion on the mind, mind, okay, body. mind, body, orgasm. The mind, body, yeah. So I'm, basically, I'm, it's been so long um, since I've had that where I feel so connected to my body and mind after orgasm. Like now, for the last several years. I can orgasm and I can enjoy it and it's a fun time, but I don't get that like really, I mean, I don't throw the word spiritual around very often, but I don't get that spiritual release that I, I know I'm capable of or I was once capable of. So I decided that from my vagina out, I'm going to work on myself. And there we have the title, <laughs> we have the title of the podcast right there. Vagina from out. the vagina. <laughs> but yeah, and then that's led Dan, me into a lot of mindfulness meditation. <laughs> it's led me into a lot of um, just like reading about the sort of actual science of of the like my hormones and what they're doing. Um, and it's put me on a yoga path. Um, so yeah, it started. It started from her. Just for the benefit of Alex is gesturing towards her vagina. She's referring to her there. But it's going to glow out through the rest of my body. That's very cool. And she's now expressed from the vagina outwards. Outwards, yeah. Again, for the benefit of Like a flowering. Yeah. It makes Um, sense. It will make sense why when you kind of might spot some more social media sharing of women talking about like power, their inner goddess and so on. And there's a lot of various links to coming from the vagina mm-hmm. i'm like ah oh, it all makes really, sense really enjoying seeing the vagina in this episode yeah also for the benefit of the listener dan just pointed towards where he would have a vagina if he had a vagina does anyone really know what i have no shout i can't out, shout out to dan's girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> could be an outfit it could be a costume <laughs> Dan, I want to hear about you and the principles of pleasure and what yeah, Alex and was just the describing. Mind-body orgasm. Mind-body orgasm. What was your views on that? Um, so I think it's really well, it's really great that you had the revelation and you're going on this journey now. Uh, I think I've definitely experienced similar things as someone who's been very insecure around my own kind of sexual health, I guess. And as men are and tend not to be open about until a man says, I'm insecure about my sexual health. And then another man says, me too. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I'm not throwing around the me too word. I'll allow it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. There's a lot. And and it's often I find from women that every other man has insecurities. But since getting sober and getting on a spiritual path, Mm. even though I don't want to be, you know, cheesy about that term. Um, yeah, it's definitely found um, that, it sounds so bizarre to say, through mindfulness practices, the insecurities around sex and uh, having an orgasm has really connected. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that was funny. Because I think it's a sexy voice. You kind, of, you kind of said it like, um, an yeah, I don't know. <laughs> having like, an orgasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. You pulled a face as well that the listeners can't see, but I really enjoyed I think they'll hear it. I it's think like, it'll, it's I like, think it'll they'll translate. Hear my, they'll like, hear my um, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what it was, it was like a cool middle-aged dad trying, yeah, to, talking... explain, to, trying to explain <laughs> to his son, so son, when you're having an orgasm. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the look you gave. But I think but when you're out of addiction, you're not, first of all, flooding yourself with unnatural chemicals that will influence yeah. how you feel about yourself. You're probably acting in a way you're a little bit prouder of. 
you're probably looking better. Mm. Um, and, and you have the space to be kinder to yourself. So like physically, I've always been very insecure. Well, actually, that's a lie. Since about the age of 23, I've been insecure, which is when I started to put on weight. I had a rocking bod before that. Just want to put that down on the oh. on the tape. Shout out uh, to Alex's rocking bod. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, part of growing up beyond just weight and stuff is learning to kind of love your body and how it changes. And I don't think I allowed myself that. I was like, well, I'm not at that pinnacle anymore. Mm. And and so I'm really actively trying to like remind myself that it's it's a good body and she looks after me and she is healthy mm. and um she is capable. As long as cardio isn't involved, like it's, uh, yeah. So I've, I've kind of, I'm, 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 I'm having to really, really consciously work on self-love. Yeah. And I think that a lot of conversation around female sexuality and female representation gives me a window into that. And, and, you know, I've spoken to other women in recovery about it and all of them have been like, oh my God, that's amazing. I want to do that. Or they'll be like, yes, I've like specifically recommend certain books or specifically recommend certain meditation that is like very female centric, um, which is really cool. And and like in recovery, you get to be super open about stuff. I mean, I'm pretty open about everything generally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you can tell from what I'm talking about on this it's podcast. Closed oh, books. You are a closed book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like getting blood from a stone. Getting information <laughs> from this one. Um, but I, uh, I, <laughs> Yeah, it's just there's a really, really nice space to be able to talk about it. And I really like talking to boys about it because I don't think that boys should feel intimidated by this as a conversation. I think, if anything, it's wonderful for you guys to learn about if you're interested in supporting women around <coughs> you, if you're interested in fostering better sex and better relationships. I think it's really helpful. It's way more enjoyable than the how was your week at a coffee just to get straight into the orgasm chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've I've spoken a lot about vaginas and orgasms. Is there anything else you want to discuss? Yes. <laughs> I would like to, if we may, return to the narrative of your recovery. Yeah. So you mentioned when you were uh, giving us your spark notes of addiction and getting into recovery. So you found recovery when you were 25, did mm -hmm. you say? Mm -hmm. And when you say you found recovery, what did you find? Was it meetings? Was it, did you go to treatment? What did you, what, how, what was finding recovery? And why, what was your first impressions, I guess, of recovery? So I think I'd always kind of been aware of AA, certainly. Um, and so Alcoholics Anonymous for the yeah, uninitiated. Shout out. Um, and um, my my aunt was in recovery, is in recovery. Um, I saw my uncle was in recovery. That's how I kind of knew about AA. Yeah, well, so I don't know how much I knew, like, about it through her and just how much I knew about it. it. Yeah, and it was, like, yeah. just in pop culture and stuff. Yeah. Um. But I, I'd, I'd run away uh, because I thought that I just needed to be out of London and I needed to meditate and then I'd be fine. And this was, I, I mean, like the meditation I've been talking about so far is a very recent thing. I'm not, like that was not something that I did often. I just told myself that would fix me mm -hmm. when I was so depressed. Um, so I ran away to Cornwall and then I went to Exeter for this like breathing and meditation course. Some hippie nonsense. Yeah, so, uh, yeah some hippie nonsense. Yeah. And um, shockingly, it didn't fix me. Mm. But while I was there, one night I went out and I got absolutely hammered. And um, basically my aunt had to come and collect me in the middle of Exeter. 
And I woke up in her bed with her cat sitting, like, staring at me, judging me. Mm. Um, Shout out to the judgmental cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and my aunt uh, then 12-stepped me, which for people to know is the 12-step. When you 12-step someone, it means that you talk to them about recovery and potentially uh, their roots in, into recovery, including fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. And other 12-step programs. Okay. I realized that I unintentionally 12-stepped someone recently. Oh, yeah? By just them asking how I got sober. And then we went for a... Oh, my God, it flowed through you. Yeah. And then we went for a non-alcoholic drink. Mm. (laughs) And just say the word drink, but everyone presumes it means getting on the piss. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Dan just did his uh, Dan grand. explaining things again when he said get change on the, the name of the podcast. So listen, to son, Dan when you it's when you don't do this when you get on a piss, the, don't do this outside of the microphone. Like. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a one. it's a new one. It's a new one for this episode only. Special, <laughs> special edition <laughs> coming soon. Um, Dad explains an orgasm. Oh no, wait, Dan, what is it? Dad explains from the vagina out. <laughs> yeah. Dan explains from. <laughs> that's the name of the episode. Um, with Alex, uh, featuring Mark, <laughs> probably honest. Uh, yeah, I, I forget. I did the the like the the, the lingo kind of jumps yeah. out of my head, and it's like ah, oh, it's a beautiful thing when someone asks that question, yeah, or when someone takes it upon them well, yeah. to uh, be like, hey. Mm. Well, so in my case, yeah, she spoke to me about it, and um, my folks were aware because while I was drunk in the street, someone called them to try and find out where to send me. Um, and I remember calling my dad and I, I'd been so scared to call him because I knew he'd be so upset with me. Mm. And I said, I called him when I was crying and I just said, I think I've got a problem with drinking. And his voice went from angry to relief at hearing me say that because they'd known for so long. Um, and I said, I'm going to start going to meetings, da, da, da. So I went to an AA meeting in an old church and there was a somewhat creepy dude sat next to me playing games on his phone who kept telling me I looked too young to be an alcoholic. Um, (laughs) What? I know. He was like, you don't even look old enough to buy alcohol. I was like, is this you hitting on me, telling me I look like a child? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then I went to another meeting and I liked it. But I just, I wasn't ready to accept it. I'd known for such a long time I had a drinking problem, but I wasn't going to admit that I was an alcoholic. That ex-partner that I mentioned, I remember thinking to myself, would I choose him or alcohol? Mm. And I'd tell myself him, but I really knew I'd choose alcohol. This is somebody that, again, like we'd planned our entire lives together. We'd planned kids and grandkids and all of this. So, and I, and I used to think to myself, right, I know I'm going to have to stop at some point, but when's that going to be? And I thought I could just keep kicking the can. Um, So I, I went to a meeting and I was listening for anything I could to get me out of there. And one woman said to me, uh, I think I probably got about 30 days sober, which was my longest stint, and this was over about a six-month period. One woman said to me, oh, well, if you can stop, then you're not an alcoholic. Mm. And so what I did was I searched my memory for the two or three times mm-hmm. when I'd had a drink and stopped. Mm. And I said, oh, I'm not an alcoholic, even though usually alcoholics will not specifically remember that on June the 4th of 2008, they didn't have a third drink or whatever it was. Mm. So I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I've I've got anxiety. I've got depression. I just use booze to cope with that, Mm. which 
spoiler alert, is alcoholism mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, so yeah, just kept getting worse and worse. Actually, I don't think that my uh, mental health was as bad as it was when I was 25, but um, got into a situation which was very dangerous. Um, luckily, what could have happened didn't happen. A friend of mine actually had to come and rescue me. He lived near me. And um, in the morning, I didn't remember anything that had happened. And he said, get in a taxi. I'm taking you to a meeting. And I didn't think I was going to get sober. I literally just thought, oh, I'm here again. Like, at that point, I'd kind of gone back to the rooms. But I, it was lockdown. I'd be drinking on, like, wine out of a mug or, like, going off camera so I could swig vodka or whatever. And at some point in my head, I don't know when it happened, it stopped being that I had to do it and it started being that I enjoyed doing it. Like there was some shift and recovery became a good thing rather than a necessary evil. Mm. I mean, one thing I'm really curious about, which is why Dan and I were really keen to have um, a woman in recovery come on and talk about is the difference between a man coming into recovery and the difference between a woman coming into recovery and what, because I know you and you and I have discussed this as, as well when we talked about uh, and this this isn't every man's experience in terms of being in recovery and dating. <laughs> but in dating, and Dan, you can maybe confirm whether you think this is the case as well. Some some women find the whole thing of being a recovering addict, for me, a turn on. Like I have 100% had <laughs> success in dating off the back of women perceiving me to have some kind of uh, reformed bad boy edge mm. as a and, and like full disclosure I played on that as well in mm-hmm. certain situations <laughs> but we I remember you and I were talking about this and you said that's not a thing for women that's not a thing well I so mean I kind of like what what do you think of the differences in terms of like perception around women getting into recovery what's your different experience like you've already talked about a creepy man with games and and, and Dan and I, I'm sure, have witnessed the predatory behaviour of men. In, and it's like... I, so I'm always a bit reticent to talk about it because it, it does exist and it's problematic. But if I'd heard anything about it when I was 25, yeah. I get nervous about speaking about it because I don't want to pretend it's not real. But I do think that the benefits of sticking out recovery outweigh it. Mm. I will say that if any women are listening and put off by it you can absolutely work a program of recovery without ever having to see a guy there are female only meetings and i think there's more female only meetings than there are just men i've been to men only meetings and there's two sides to it it's like powerful because men get very open and sensitive and talk about difficulties for them around other men which is almost you know breaks that kind of toxic masculinity Mm. down but then also there is always a masculine edge to it yeah and uh yeah the thing that i need from meetings is the the mix of the two which allows me to be more sensitive but that's i think that's from my past of growing up Mm. with more more women involved in Mm. my but that's the thing everyone has such a personal thing for what they need so i know men that don't want male sponsors because they've had trauma from men Mm. And personally, I should go to a lot more female-only meetings, but I feel a lot more intimidated by women than by men. Mm. 
Um, because I think women can just see my bullshit a lot more than boys can. Um, but yeah, so everyone will have their own preference on, on what they do. But if you identify as women, as a woman, then you can go to, um, any of, any of those groups. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. But yeah, coming into recovery as a woman. Well, first of all, the the are you an attract? Can you be as attractive if you're a recovering addict? Weirdly, right? Well, I always went for damaged people, so recovered or not, like that was my that was my jam. Mm. Um, a lot <laughs> of my friends probably fucked up is your type. Fucked up is my type. Yes, yeah. nice. but but like I remember getting into recovery and being like. Oh my God, so many attractive men. This is the place to be because <laughs> they used to be fuck ups, but they're getting their shit together. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. my usual type is fuck up, but this is like a step up for me, you know? Um, but like, I, I actually spoke I could just experience friend. that internal like, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, this is healthy. This is, healthy. This is gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was speaking to a friend about this this weekend and I was like, yeah, because like, obviously guys in recovery are sexy. And she was like, mm, what? And I was like, you know, because like, they used to be bad boys, but now they're kind of responsible and they're getting their shit together. So you're like kind of sick. She's like, hmm, I guess. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So my whole perception of it is very, very self, uh, self-created. self mm. um, I do think, so I, I did uh, my first year of recovery. I didn't date or sleep with anyone, um, which is a recommendation, but not a rule. Um, which also I found out when I like hit one year, everyone was like, oh, you did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what yeah. the fuck? I thought everyone did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every, everyone has it suggested to them. Yeah, but I, I actually did it. I think it's actually quite rare for people to actually. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to throw blanket statements down, but mm. this is a blanket statement. <laughs> Women I know of multiple years or year above recovery have all done that. And people that I've known have not come back into the rooms. I'm not saying this is the only reason, but people have found it harder because they've engaged in relationships or sexual um, activities, I don't know, in their first year of recovery. And they've had pain or confusion or difficulty and it's kind of spurred them to come back out of the rooms or... They blame the rooms because of maybe yeah. one person within yeah, the rooms, etc., yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. et yeah, et that's 100 the thing. Do you, do you, I think women are less attractive. I think, uh, unfortunately. So, whoa, 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 whoa! Do not reframe my question <laughs> as do you think women in recovery are less attractive? No, no, no. 
but listeners, Dan, be your own judges. I did not Dan, ask that question. <laughs> men in recovery, and also we're being very heteronormative because I'm really thinking like men who like women, women who like men. Here, I can't okay, yeah, speak yeah. to uh, like queer or gay experiences, but um, in terms of like a sort of straight approach, um, I think. Well, right, okay. So since getting back on the horse, um, I <laughs> shout out to horses. <laughs> Um, I, I've gone on dates with a few people who are not in the rooms. And if I had mentioned that I'm in recovery, the reaction is always either, oh, I think I might have a problem and I should talk to you about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that one. Yeah, that that's, happens all the time. And I'm like, favorites. oh, no, I've got yeah, to trust yeah. out this person. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it's like, oh, oh, cool. Good for you. Or it's very invasive. Mm. And... And that's something I find tricky because I'm quite open about being in recovery. To what extent am I happy to tell you I'm in recovery without you then asking me the ins and outs of my dark periods? I'll talk about recovery, fine. But like I've had people ask me about like, so the very last night that you were drinking, what was that like? And I'm like, yeah. well, shit. Obviously it was shit. Like, what yeah. do you want me to tell you about it? But yeah, I think unfortunately there is a myth that bitches be cray. I think if it basically it gives just more fodder to that. If you're in recovery, it's like, oh yeah, so she used to be mental, and it's not sexy bad girl. It's oh she was probably gross, and mm. then it's like, well yeah, she's got her shit together now, but like at any moment, mm. and I don't think it's fair. No, but I think it's the case. Obviously, this is all anecdotal though. This is all like my perception of it, and. Who knows, maybe I'll meet a man who is wildly turned on by how insane I was. Mm. <laughs> if you know anyone. <laughs> Shout out to any of those men. <laughs> um, but yeah, being a woman in recovery, I think is, uh, so there's this thing called 13th stepping. So there's the 12 steps in recovery. 13th step basically is if someone oversteps the mark and uh, particularly hits on a newcomer and it's, it's, effectively taking advantage of how vulnerable that person is if you're new in you're more likely to need that validation from someone or be looking to replace whatever you are getting out of your your addiction and and you know sort of physical comfort or or romantic comfort can do that I remember sitting in a women's meeting and all the women talking about getting 13 steps and I was just fucking furious because no one had ever 13 steps. Do you know what? I, I felt exactly the same way. I was like, where the fuck is the person 13 yeah. stepping me? You know what? The people afterwards were like, no, it's because you're strong and they knew that they couldn't do that. Bullshit. And I was like, no. 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 I, I, <laughs> where like, was my I didn't want step? it. I wanted to know that someone wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have gone for it. Having said that, I did. There was a male member. There was a. Uh, I wonder if you're going to say. No, no, don't worry. There was a gay Ooh, male name member names. Of, uh, <laughs> of the fellowship that I got clean in who did. Uh, send me inappropriate things when I was maybe like six or seven months clean. Huh. So um, I didn't have anyone to the 13th step me, but I did have very inappropriate things. Mm. So there was a meeting I went to uh, in London. It was my home group. Shout out to London. Shout out to London. Places. Official sponsors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get them on. Yeah. <laughs> um, get London on the line now. <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah, so this home group I went to and there was this dude there that I always found a bit creepy, but like, didn't really deal with him. And I used to hand out chips at the meeting. And I, I like... Wait, quick pause for the benefit uh, yeah. of people that may not reach the rooms yet, which we will round off 
and say the meetings are great as we are continuously sober, but chips are when you reach a certain benchmark milestone day set period of time of recovery and you can get a nice well in different point. in different programs they have different ones you can get key rings or you can get a coin get claps key hugs. Rings are yeah key i did I, I got a key ring from na because i don't usually go to na and yeah. i felt i felt that you were very excited about that i was Alex, so excited Alex about it was, key ring, yeah. um, that was a great moment and continue <laughs> um, but yeah so i used to ha- it was my job at this meeting to hand out chips to people and i used to dress quite nicely to do it i like to dress nicely and it was on a Sunday, so I'd like wearing be your Sunday like, best. I'd be wearing my Sunday best. <laughs> sure. I was in a church after sure. all. Um, and um, yeah, I can't remember what it specifically spurred it, but someone said, "Oh, you look nice to me." And then this guy that I always found really creepy made a comment about how next time I should come wearing just lingerie or like something. It just made me so uncomfortable. And it was a venue which had loads and loads and loads of meetings, and I would go to this one all the time. I stopped going because I didn't want to see him. Uh, I I just felt really, really uncomfortable. And he um, at one point came up to me and said, I'm sorry that you didn't understand that I was joking. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And yeah. I I wasn't to know that you were so sensitive. <laughs> like In, an, and he in said, a 12-step meeting. Yeah, yeah, and he said, it's not like I called you the C word. Wow. And I was like, oh, thank you yeah. like for not calling me that but oh, also what yeah. <laughs> so i just stopped going i mean i didn't actually say thank you just for the <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. i said if it's a joke that offends me then it's probably not a very good joke and i told him whatever and i did, didn't go back to that meeting it's unfortunate but i will also say i've dealt with creeps outside of the rooms especially while i was drinking there were a lot more out there i had the ability to talk to women about it who I felt safe with and who I trusted. I have made amazing relationships with men in AA who I feel safe with and who I trust. There shout are out always to shout out to Dan and Mark. Um, there are always going to be bad apples. And at the end of the day, it's a program that is amazing, but it is full of sick people trying to get better. Exactly, Sometimes yeah. we get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. true. It's like you say, that's true in every walk of life you will have. There are arseholes in every walk of life, essentially. Mm, so don't let um, it put you off this. Yeah. And also, like, the guy, the thing that you, I know you've done really well is you gravitate towards strong women in the rooms. And by gravitating towards strong women, Sisters. for the benefit of the listeners, like, <laughs> Alex just did some clicking thing. I assume, I assume that's about strong women. I it don't, is, I don't yeah. know. They know. They know. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, you know. Uh, sorry, I just mansplained that shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, but yeah, if you gravitate towards strong women, they will give you guidance. And also the thing about like, not every meeting is like this meetings, which are healthy and have strong groups, male and female, they will look out for stuff like this. Mm. And people who behave in this way won't go to those meetings because well, they know it won't be stood for that meeting. Cause I had a lot of friends in that meeting and it was predominantly a male meeting. Mm. Um, they actually said, we're going to tell him to leave. Yeah. And I said, nah, you're good. Because, which I needed them to say that. I needed Mm. to hear that from them. But I also spoke to my sponsor and she was like, that is a sick person. Mm. Like, and I, and I just thought, why cause a lot of drama around it? I've been made to feel that I would be safe and I can stay here. But I, I was ready to move on. I will, I think 
being able to build a network of of other women has been really, really important. And it's not something I took advantage of until I moved away from London. I think in London, I was so lucky because I had all my friends and family there. I didn't feel like I needed more friends. Mm. When I came to Bristol, I had like two mates in the city. And so it, it meant that my social group became people in recovery. And it meant that I've now seen some of the benefits of having more women around me other than just like my sponsor. Mm. Um, and I, I presume the same goes for men. I think a lot of, uh, I don't, uh, I haven't met hundreds of thousands of women in recovery, but what I have kind of established is their backgrounds through uh, alcoholism and, and using or whatever uh, seems to be kind of similar to yours where they tend to have been focused around hanging out with guys or whatever that kind of the connotations of that would mean. So now the kind of connection that I've experienced mm. between women in recovery is even more powerful than it might have been beforehand because of that common bond. Well, yeah, I guess like if you presume that women in general have fun in the loo, Mark, if you presume... <laughs> We'll women... stick a microphone in there. <laughs> you presume that women in general drink less than men, then people who, or, or do drugs or any of that less than men, then people who are addicts are likely to gravitate towards other people who do it, which means they're more likely to be in those situations. I think also things around um, self-worth. If you're with people of the opposite sex, you can feel a bit more desired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's this thing that some women in AA say, like, drinking made me feel prettier, wittier, and tittier. Like, I just was that that little bit more, you know? Yeah. So having men around, and, and, and also in a sort of twisted way, because you're actually often very unsafe with those men, feeling safe because you're with the big, strong, loud ones. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I understand. Which is not true. You're a lot safer with quieter kind ones man male or female um but yeah when you're in that spot i think you you can get into sort of more and more sort of aggressive or t testosterone filled places <sighs> i think women in recovery um certainly straight women in recovery at least in my experience i think you'll find a lot of women who have uh complicated relationships with men and i think that's why the importance of women only meetings yeah uh, women and non-binary specific meetings. Yeah, so also that's a really good point. If you're non-binary, then you are always welcome at a, a women's meeting as well. How does it work for men? It's if just you're non-binary, can you go to the men's meeting? We, the thing is, we don't really have men's meetings in Bristol. We don't have them in Bristol. We they had, exist in one, London. Yeah, we had one on a Saturday morning for ages. but Well, I say ages for like a year or two, but that, that died a death. From, from my experience, it was... <sighs> Uh, I'm. I hope this has changed now, but it was men only meetings and mm -hmm. women and non-binary meetings. But I would like to think that that's changed now. I'd imagine. I mean, it's like I would imagine it would be the case. I can't imagine. Yeah, non-binary not being welcome at a men's meeting. I think that things move slightly less quickly than we would hope, though. I yeah. mean, like changing. Uh, there's there's a preamble in Alcoholics Anonymous, which starts with. Uh, explaining what AA is and it, it mentions men and women with a desire to stop drinking. That is being changed to people with a desire to stop drinking, which I think is brilliant 
But even that is taking a long time and has faced like resistance because people are so, so scared about changing anything about the program because of how much benefit it has for people. But I think things around that as well are where you need to remember that this is not an organization. This is a bunch. Fellowship. It's a bunch of people trying their best and sometimes getting it wrong. It's not a perfect we're going to go along and listen to the first share and be absolutely fine. <laughs> the irony is I did actually go along to my first meeting and got sober and was absolutely fine. All right. Well, be, you, it, man. I'm, what, I, what I'm saying is that can be the case for no, some people. No, it can be. Yeah. It can be. But I mean, like, so it is, it's, a, it's a massive group of people, which means that there is human error. Mm. Things sometimes aren't great, but that mm. will happen anywhere. So I think... You also learn to kind of love imperfections. You learn how to deal with things that you don't agree with. You learn how to find the people within recovery that align their thinking and your thinking. And you don't need to worry too much about other people. So, yeah, there are certain elements that I think are kind of having to catch up to generally accepted social norms now. Um, but I wouldn't want anyone to feel alienated by that. So we've got about we've got about like ten ish minutes left. Can uh, I go to the loo as well? You can go to the toilet. We, me and Mark can have a chat. I think I feel like I need to you know I feel like I need to say you know any any I feel like I need to say this. Any man that's listening is maybe hopefully we have all sorts of listeners. Any man that's kind of been around meetings for a long time, don't be an arsehole. Don't be an arsehole covers a lot of. Um... I once had a, a therapy session with my therapist. With my, th- once had a therapy with my therapist. That's good. Who it's good to have therapy with. If you if you're having, I've therapy, had sessions where it's not really therapy. It's just chatting. Yeah. And then they said, "You just pay me to chat," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, thank um, you." And we were talking about the idea of like summing up a life philosophy in just a sentence of what whatever it is, like how do you measure what your good behavior is. And the the one we arrived at, which was really, I felt really suitable for me, was um, just don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. And there's so there's so much. Ah, uh, but that's very gender specific. Don't but be everyone a dick. has an arsehole. Every, okay, yeah. Well, we can say don't be an arsehole. I think it is. Yeah, if you are a man and you are going to a meeting, I don't know. I do you want? Do you want to hear? And and he's a late friend of ours, mm. uh, who sadly passed away. But he he said something and it's stuck with me ever since I've heard it. Mm. Do you remember what it is? Do you, want to, do you want to know what it is? Yeah, go on. Said a newcomer is basically like a teenager walking into the room. Would you have sex with a teenager? Oh. So don't 13 step. Namaste. Is that our friend Nathan? Yes. I've got to miss that guy. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, he said, he, he said some of. Some of the stuff he said to me, I remember one thing he said to me, no, two things he said to me, which I hold over my heart. And one was, uh, it's okay to change your mind. And in the context of when he said it to me, it was profound. I was really upset about something at the time and I was really worried about hurting someone. And I was like, I just don't think I can justify it. And he said, he's like, you're allowed to change your mind, mate. You're allowed to change your mind. And like, I just so profound. Mm. Um, what was the second thing? Oh, I think I was, um, something had just happened uh, where a girl I was in a relationship with, I'd, I'd seen her with somebody else and she was now in a relationship with this person. And uh, 
and I reacted spectacularly badly to it. Not to those people, but like internally and emotionally, I reacted really badly and I rang, I rang a few people and then eventually I got through to him and he said, um, I said, I just feel like I've been deceived. And he's like, you haven't been deceived. He was like, frankly, this has nothing to do with you. You know, you're yeah. with someone, you're not with that person anymore. And that those two things, you're allowed to change your mind and you haven't been deceived. They just resonated with me over the years. Um, yeah. It's heartbreaking that guy's gone. He did, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even nothing addiction to do, that got him. Nothing to do with addiction. It wasn't addiction that got That's him. That's what pissed me off. Yeah. I've been like, ah. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, oh, he, okay, well, we're not going to go off on them a huge segue, but... Uh, that's what annoyed me a lot. I remember, yeah. I remember when we spoke about it. Because I was like, he worked so hard to get clean and his story was ridiculous. It was fucking horrendous. It yeah. Was horrendous isn't that lovely then that that's not what took him out? We all got to go sometime. Isn't nah, it lovely that that wasn't unjust. it? He just had, was he literally just had a child. Like oh. she was like a month old or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah something like that. So she, he just had a child, but got had, um, met a partner yeah. uh, when he just, after he got clean. So he was about the same... He was the same length of clean time as us, wasn't he? I think Almost so. Almost identical. I think so, yeah. He was a bit older than us. He was like 40-odd, was he? I think so. Early 40s. Just met, met a partner, married her, um, had a child, a month old, and uh, and he was sad that he was diabetic. And um, he had a diab- diabetic attack and went into a coma mm-hmm. and uh, never came out of it. And it was fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. Really, really heartbreaking. How he got onto this. Let's talk about orgasms. Let's talk about <laughs> orgasms. I was telling I was telling men not to be arseholes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, arseholes, yeah, yeah. Please don't. Yeah, well, because well, like you know, hopefully we've got some old timers listening. I think, and you know what? Maybe maybe not now. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's naive of me, but I think uh, very few people do things because very few people think that they're doing the wrong thing when they do it, but it takes a little bit of empathy yeah, to yeah. realize if what you're doing is more harmful to the person than you think it is. Because mm. if you, especially with like romance, if you get carried away and you think they must feel this too and this is, we're meant to be together and this is great, you can forget how damaging that can be. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a bit love bombing as well. So yeah. just think about that person. And if you are meant to be together, then you'll still be meant to be together in a year when they've got more sobriety and they are making more clear decisions. Yeah. I mean, I know you and I were being quite glib and joking about wanting to be 13th step, but I am actually incredibly grateful that I didn't get 13th stepped by an older person in recovery or, or just anyone who'd been in recovery for a while. Nope. You're still <laughs> pissed off for those, for the benefit of the listeners. <laughs> Alex still would have been like. I wouldn't have gone for it. I just wanted to know. <laughs> I wanted the I invite. Fuck me. I wouldn't have gone. I just wanted to be invited. <laughs> exactly. If it helps, I wasn't. I wasn't thirteen. You were step, step by How do you Are feel you about sure? it? Um, Are you sure? Oh, Mark sure seems to know something. Am I sure? The girl you're in a relationship with wasn't she in recovery? The girl yeah, I was in a relationship, were you in a relationship with, with when before. you got into recovery. Oh, the person that showed me recovery. Yeah. But were you already yeah. with her? When? I was her dealer. <laughs> okay. You were her she dealer. She wasn't very good recovering addict. Then though. she was in recovery. And then she told me I was. Uh, she was in recovery already. But using it's a dealer still. <laughs> I wasn't really a dealer. I sold but cat using once. Drugs still. I was using drugs. No, she was using drugs. She was using drugs. She's going to meetings as well. Oh mate, been there. <laughs> and then told me that I had a problem. 
Yeah. And then that was our thirteenth step. We didn't sleep no, together. No, it wasn't thirteenth step. No. Yeah, there's no you sex were both, involved. I did, I feel like to thirteenth step, someone you've got to have for both early days. Again, it's likely it might happen because you're gravitating towards other people who are going through what you're going through. Ha. <laughs> but if one of you isn't, then you need to give that person time to work out their own stuff and not put them at risk of associating you with recovery or, you know, a breakup can be really hard. So if something doesn't go well and you're already feeling down and then you've got to deal with breakup on top of that or the feelings of rejection, that that's relapse causing stuff, man. Mm. Yeah. But as we're into um, the last few minutes, one thing Dan and I like to talk a lot about is quite practical stuff of like what people do in their recovery or what we do in our recovery, what kind of sustains our recovery. What are your kind of like, what are your daily rhythms of being oh. in recovery? You know, like you, you were talking about your story there where you were, you did, you weren't expecting to get clean and sober, then you did get sober. Then what did your life transition into and what is your life like now is, you know, can I also add a kind of sub-question within that? Yeah. It's just an addition. Sub-question. So this is applying to people who might feel that they have a problem with addiction, alcoholism, or anything in between, and anyone that might just be struggling with their mental health in general mm. that might not have an addiction but just want, you know, they're, they're in it for the, the tips. I've got more tips for those that second group. Yeah? Mm. Because I'm gashy as all hell and with the best intentions in the world i do not have a rhythm nice i'm not good in the morning if i close my eyes in the morning and try and meditate i will just fall back asleep and be late for work i can't Mm. do that usually obviously never tried open-eyed meditation but continue (laughs) (laughs) which is possible but anyway let's carry on i'm not there yet (laughs) and then uh usually it gets to like the evening and i'm like oh christ i like have not done anything useful for me Mm. but I go to meetings very very regularly um I practice the 10th step every night which is basically reviewing my day seeing if I've had any sort of negative experience or if I've done anything negative to other people and where I need to maybe apologize for that or nip something in the bud um I do that every day and it's a really good way to clear my head. I have recently started doing nightly me- um, <laughs> meditation. I nearly Freudian slipped. Um, uh, nightly <laughs> meditation. <laughs> and um, But like super, super early days, the stuff I found useful was um, eating sugar. Yes, I put on <laughs> weight. It was worth it to get sober. Avoiding pubs for a bit. I'm fine with them now, but like you can, if you spend a lot of your time in the pub, it can feel like a bereavement not being able to be out with people in the pub. The pubs will still be there. Just give it a second. Um, And I would suggest talking to people a lot sooner than I did. I still find Mm -hmm. it really difficult to say that I need help. And I still find it really difficult to express weakness. Uh, it's something I'm really working on and it's actually counterintuitively a lot easier when you talk to someone else about it. Um, and then in terms of, I still have issues with anxiety and depression. So, uh, from those, I, I mean, I, I'm on antidepressants. Uh, I keep an eye on those. Um, but breathing exercises, which kind of ties into the meditation. So what, where I wasn't doing meditation before, 
breathing exercises were a really common thing for me to do just to, like especially before bed yeah shout out to antidepressants shout out to them yeah i'm coming off mine soon big up big pharma <laughs> Thank you for leveling me and also making me incapable of crying during films. Oh, I've tried. I, I watched Million Dollar Baby the other day when I first watched <gasps> that film. I cried like a little bitch, and this time I was like, I don't give a shit what's watch happening Dumbo. here. Dumbo. I, it's my favorite Disney film, and I can't watch it because I cry too much okay. every time. I'll give it a go. If that if that doesn't make you cry, then you definitely need off the meds because it's killed your inside. <laughs> and on that note, just to confirm, <laughs> just to confirm, guys, that's not a medical opinion from Alex. That's, uh, no, please speak to your doctor. In my medical opinion, <laughs> you Dumbo is the test of if you feel emotions appropriately. <laughs> mm. I like that. Thank you, Alex, for yeah, coming thank on you very the much, podcast. Alex. Thanks, guys. Have you enjoyed yourself? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've enjoyed myself very much, but then I'm I'm. I'm worried I spoke far too much and that I probably made not very much sense. Mm, oh, that's okay. I disagree. I don't think that would be the case. But if I say one thing to, to close off from my side, mm-hmm. for the ladies. <laughs> what this one, is that? This one's, this one's, this one's going ladies. out to all the ladies. <laughs> I'm like, where um, are my girls at? Where well, my to ladies, at? to non-binary people, to gender non-conforming people, and to men. Recovery and recovery programs that have been established for a long time are around for a reason. Do not be put off by the possibility of being made to feel uncomfortable. If that happens in one place, they're big programs. There are other places you can go and the love that you will get, it will massively outweigh any creeps that tell you to wear lingerie. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. And love your vaginas. Love your vaginas. Mark, remember that? Love your vagina. (laughs) I never forget it. I'm always telling myself that. It's probably probably why I'm so fucking confused <laughs> all the time. Love your vagina, Mark. What? That's what you write at the end of your Shit. step tens. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Alex. Yeah, thank you very much. It's thanks, been guys. good. Uh, that'll be us for episode nine. Mm. Don't know what we'll do next. You know, episode ten. Episode ten, double digits. Alex, you're a regular listener of the Probably Honest I podcast. Am. Yeah, I'm your biggest what, fan. What would you like to hear us do? Uh, right, so you did money recently, which hasn't come, money, money, yeah. hasn't come out yet. Hasn't come out yet. Well, it is now out now by the time we've listened mm. to this. I would like you to talk about. Have you you've talked about acceptance of addiction and alcoholism, but have you talked about self love and acceptance and defects and stuff? Not really. No. Coming to no. terms with your shortcomings. We could do an episode on defects. Do I'm, I'm kidding. Obviously, neither of you have any shortcomings. Of course, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> we're well. Perfect. I'm fixed. I'll, I'll think of something better. I'll be your creative director. <laughs> okay, great. I'm already your copy, copy, uh, proofreader. <laughs> oh, yeah, for all my typos on social media. <laughs> Having said that, with They've that in mind, uh, thank you. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it gets a bit confusing now because I can't remember... One of them is Honest Probably. I think that's the Twitter, even mm. though I don't really do much on there. You can give <laughs> us a follow if you want. If The more followers we have on Twitter, the more I'll occupy it. How about that? And um, 
quite aggressive yeah, on Twitter really How about you fucking read my Twitter <laughs> post and then I'll tweet more. I just share other mental, I just share mental health pod, uh, charities posts and hope that someone likes it. Anyway, and uh, Instagram, we can follow us at probably honest poddy. Nice. Yeah, that is it, yeah. I occupy that a lot more. I even shared a poem on there that was not that great. I was actually really angry because I followed you guys and you didn't follow me back. Wow. Furious. Actually, you don't have permission to use this anymore. I I retract everything (laughs) I've just said. Wow. She (laughs) she doesn't mean that. I don't mean it, no. (laughs) I'll follow you. I'll follow you on on, on, on Instagram. I want you to want it, Dan. (laughs) Got very good embroidery and. So in context. <laughs> Start just like whenever I see you at a meeting, you just be like, oh, did you see this great picture I shared the other day? And I'd be like, no. I'd be like, well, you should fucking follow me then. Yeah, you? okay, I'll do that. Like yeah. your approach to getting people on Twitter. Yeah. Well, maybe I'd post more if you were yeah, following exactly, me. exactly, yeah. Reverse like... psychology. Anyways, like we're going we're gonna to wrap it up there. <laughs> this has been the Probably Honest Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, look after yourself. Yeah. Love yourself. Yeah. I'm not that guy. Yeah. Namaste. Namaste. Welcome. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.